0: I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm joined on the line now by Chris Vaughn, who's the CEO and founder of Saucy, an on-demand alcohol delivery startup. Chris, welcome to Launchpad.
1: Thank you, Carl. I appreciate it.
0: Uh, Chris, I'm going to before we get started, I'm going to point our listeners to your website and you've got a nice clean simple domain. It's saucy.com and just in case anyone wonders how to spell that, it's s a u c e y.com, saucy.com. Uh, Chris, give us the elevator pitch for Saucy.
1: Sure. So, Saucy is a uh, an on-demand delivery platform where we can bring you beer, wine, spirits, cocktail packages, mixers, cups, ice, whatever you need for uh, just enjoying life, Uh, and about 30 minutes or less in in key cities around the country.
0: And one of those key cities is San Francisco, correct?
1: San Francisco, Los Angeles, Sacramento, San Diego, Chicago. We've primarily focused on the California market first. Um, It's the largest drinking market in the U.S. by a considerable amount, and so, our, our focus today has been how do we really penetrate California before going to uh, other markets?
0: All right. Well, I happen to be sitting in California. So, and it's okay, it's only four o'clock, but, but I'm going to give you a little buffer. Let's say I wanted to have a little happy hour at five. How, how, how would it actually work? Walk, walk me through the user experience.
1: Uh, so, on your side, you would simply open the app or, or go online to saucy.com. Mm-hmm um you'd set your location so whether you're in the studio or on campus or at home um or at the office wherever you may be you can set your location choose what you'd like check out with your card on file and one of our friendly couriers will deliver your order and uh, an average delivery time about 31 32 minutes um will check your id drop it off and you can do what you want with it
0: all right so i suppose the The first and maybe obvious question here is why we need a vertical for alcohol delivery. I can, I suspect, actually, I'm quite sure I can go to Instacart and actually probably order from Safeway or one of the grocery stores in California that sells alcohol and have it delivered. Why why do I need a vertical? Why do I need saucy when I have the more general uh, grocery delivery services available?
1: Sure. Sure. So one of, the, one of the first things we saw in the alcohol industry was that, um, you know, the industry split into basically two halves. You have what's called on-premise and off-premise. On-premise is bars, restaurants, uh, hotels, all that type of stuff. And off-premise is what happens at liquor stores, grocery stores, et cetera. Um, off-premise does a, is a little bit more than half the industry in terms of dollars and about 75% of the industry when it comes to consumption. And what we saw is that these alcohol brands spend all this money advertising to you uh, to drink, and, and you'll have this wonderful and joyous life if you drink Grey Goose or Kettle One or bill of bourbon or whatever it may be. Um, and that experience carries through in many ways uh, in on-premise. You go to certain bars, hotels, restaurants. They build these creative and interesting environments for you to go and interact with other people. And, and booze and alcohol has, has been this underlying sort of social lubricant in our culture for you know a long time. Um when it comes to retail, I would say alcohol is done very poorly. You know, the whole point of having beers with friends or drinks with friends is it sort of takes that relationship to the next level. Um you know if I if I said hey Carl let's meet for coffee today, that's very different than if I said hey Carl, you want to meet for a cocktail after work. Um so I think it's just a different type of experience and and in off premise in the retail world it just lists a bunch of bottles on the shelf. There's nothing special about that experience. And when I look at the way that perhaps Safeway has handled delivery today, um, their, their interfaces are just not intuitive, right? They're a giant grocery conglomerate. Um, if I try and shop their website or use their app for grocery, it's pretty cumbersome, let alone if I tried to use it for something like finding a, a particular cocktail or, or a certain beverage. Um, Instacart, I think that's why Instacart exists, right? Safeway's had uh, online um, grocery shopping for quite a while. Instacart has a much better interface uh, for doing the same thing and from shopping for multiple grocers. But again, when I use Instacart, I'm shopping for groceries. You know, the whole use case of me using Instacart is oh, yeah, just leave it at my door. When I get home today at 7, it'll be there and I can accept it. The second I add alcohol to that order, I now have to be there in person to accept the order, get my ID checked, um, et cetera. And so while I think some people will use Instacart to add a bottle of white wine to their groceries, if they're willing to then be there in person to accept that order, um, or they may use it to put together like, hey, we're having an office party on Friday, it'll be delivered to the office, I know I'll be there. Um, I think that the majority of use cases in alcohol or the majority of purchase occasions have to do with an impulse, have to do with, hey, you guys feel like having some beers. And we saw that immediate impulse to go right to the app, dedicated to alcohol. Everything in our experience, the branding, positioning is around that look and feel. Um, You check out, we're there in 30 minutes as opposed to two, three hours from now, whatever it may be.
0: Okay. So I I find the you, you really said two things, I think. One is that the entire use experience is more oriented towards the social occasion or the drinking occasion that you're supporting. And the second is really one about impulse and the ability to respond to that impulse relatively quickly. Um, say, let's start with the first. What, what is it about your user experience that makes it more supportive of, uh, of, of the customer and the experience the customer wants to have? Again, put it, so Putting aside, so Chris, put, I'm sorry I, to clarify, putting aside, I will get to the I want it now uh, issue. But, but other sure. than that, what, what is it about the experience that really tunes it to the occasion?
1: Well, I think we, we looked a little bit at, at traditional brick-and-mortar guys. right? We saw in places like San Francisco, BevMo locations right next to Safeways or mm. Whole Foods. Um, and how does that BevMo do any sales when it's right next to a Whole Foods that also sells alcohol or a Safeway that also sells alcohol? But we actually saw that it did tremendously well. I think the impulse for wanting to have a drink is fundamentally different in very, in many occasions than grocery shopping. And while certainly a tremendous amount of alcohol is sold at grocery, I think that when people want to have a drink, their go-to is convenience their go-to is they think liquor store they think Bevmo, they think total wine they think the store that caters to that occasion in our app um we looked at that same scenario and said yes you can go to let's say amazon prime or instacart um and you can sort through vegetables and honey nut cheerios and baby formula and whatever else to find beer um but more likely in the majority of purchasing occasions when, hey, you guys feel like having beers or, hey, you want to order in a bottle of wine? I'm going to go to the app that has a great selection of these products. From the second I open it, everything is catered to that impulse and that type of branding um, at checkout. And it's brought to me. And we play very heavily into that drinking experience. You're not you know our our app i You know, in, in the subtle way of saying it, our app icon isn't the picture of a carrot or vegetables, mm-hmm. right? It's all about drinking, um, yeah. and so we think of our app much similar to if you're familiar with the app called Shazam, which is for music. Um, I listen to music all day long. I I never think about Shazam until I hear a song that I like, and I don't know what it is, and I almost automatically bring this app out of my phone, press this button, and it takes care of it for me, we've thought of ourselves very similar to that light. You know, I'm hanging out with friends, I'm doing whatever it may be in life, I feel like having a drink, or we feel like having drinks, I pull out this app, I press one button, and you're taken care of.
0: Is that how it's played out in terms of your typical user? And maybe you could just say a little bit, let me ask that question a little in a little crisper way. Uh, what is the segment really that resonates best with Saucy? Tell us a little bit about your customers.
1: Yeah, so I think when a lot of people think about Saucy, they think of this party, right, or this party that runs out of alcohol and you order more or something. But if we look at mm-hmm. our average customer, you know, it's a 25 to 40-year-old individual. It's pretty evenly split between male and female. And the average order size very clearly indicates that it's for personal use. Someone coming home from work, oh, I feel like having a bottle of wine by the time I get home. It's someone who's halfway through dinner and feels like ordering in, you know, a cocktail or something that they want to enjoy. It's someone who's hanging out with friends watching Game of Thrones and they feel like having drinks and they order it in. Of course we have party orders. Of course we have, you know, big events and stuff like that. But that's a very limited use case um, for Saucy. And, and I would be worried if our average card size or average use case was too big. I would say that people only use this us for parties. When we know that the majority of buying that takes place is that personal use case. It is the person on the way home from work that wants, you know, a bottle of white wine, and they're just going to enjoy it later. Um, so we see that the, the typical behavior is, is uh, you know, the individual that's just trying to enjoy something for them or them in a, in a small
0: group. So so I spend about half my week in Pennsylvania, which is at the opposite extreme from california in terms of how liberal its liquor laws are and in particular for those who don't know pennsylvania it's it's frozen in maybe i don't know the 1930s or something so you can only buy beer by the case and you have to buy it from a beer store not to be confused with a liquor store and in (laughs) liquor stores you can't buy beer but they're all run by the state and they have very limited hours. So this, California is the opposite. I can press a button on my app, and within 30 minutes, I can get anything, anytime delivered to my house. Mm-hmm. So we're, I'm, I'm working up to, to the question, which is, what evidence is there that, that these laws and the friction in the transaction influence consumption? Uh, that is, is consumption higher in, if we take the friction away, as we do with Saucy and the laws in California? Um,
1: I wouldn't say so. I, I don't have any stats off the top of my head I can rattle off to you. But if I look at a market like let's say Texas, Texas has blue laws. Right, you can't or, you can't buy alcohol on Sundays. Uh, you can't purchase after nine p.m. in many areas. Um, they have if you look at Dallas for ex for example, they have wet, dry, and damp territories, wet, you can buy beer, wine, spirits, damp, you can only buy like wine and beer, but no spirits, dry, you can't buy anything. Um, Very particular delivery permits that can go in between those different areas. But Texas is, you know, one of the top two or three biggest drinking markets in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that there probably are some markets where the regulatory environment has helped limit alcohol to a degree. Um, but again, you know, California's, I mean, just population wise, a massive market, you know, the wine countries here, the wine market here is, you know, 20% of the country's consumption of wine is in California. Um, pretty close to 20% in beer and spirits as well. And if you look at companies in alcohol that have done tremendously well, um, they've done it by really dominating and focusing on some of those, those California type markets, California, Florida, Texas, some of these big cities that are huge on, on drinking, like Illinois, as a, as a, as a state, not so massive, but Chicago, huge alcohol city, um, Seattle. Um, so I think it's, answer your question i I think there are probably definitely examples throughout the country where regulatory has affected consumption in in one way or another but americans drink i think that the stat changed last year but americans used to drink more alcohol than bottled water in the united states um i I think that changed in 2016 to being even and it was the same for coffee so i mean it's, it's a massive consumption product uh it is an underlying feature of our, our culture and our society. Um, and if you want to dominate a large part of the industry, very different from many other retail sectors, you don't have to be in that many states.
0: Okay, so let me take you back to the origin story. Where did the idea for Saucy come from?
1: Um, Saucy came from, actually, my my. Girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, uh, Danielle, she is an operating room nurse, has really long hours. I was working at a tech company leading marketing and and business development there, and um, I had long hours. And consistently found that we'd be halfway through dinner, feel like having wine, and then I'd have to run out and go get it, or halfway through watching a movie together and uh, want some beers or, or something to drink, some cocktails or martinis, and I'd have to run out and go get it. And there was a there was a Bevmo location maybe three blocks from where we lived, but I'd say nine out of ten times I just ran out to this liquor store that was one block from where we lived, uh, huh. even though it was dramatically more expensive than the Bevmo. Um, but it didn't matter. Nine nine times out of ten I just go there, and I and I couldn't help but thinking that the majority of the times that we purchased alcohol, it was last minute, impulse driven, and I had to run out and go get it. Um, I shared that idea with two friends of mine at the company we were at. It was a company called Text Plus, which is a, a large um, messaging and texting platform for iOS and Android. And uh, one who was their, uh, one of the head mobile engineers and the other that was running their product for um, iOS and Android teams. And they completely identified with the use case as well. They said, yeah, I mean, other than having maybe a few bottles of nice wine at the house, which you're not going to drink when you're watching you know, football or something, um, 80%, 80%, 90% of the time, all of us, you know, despite being young professionals, doing well, drinking three, four times a week, uh, we, every time that we wanted to buy alcohol, it was a last minute thing. We'd run out and go grab it. Um, we started looking at how many liquor stores there were, and we're based in L.A. So we started looking at L.A., saw that there were just thousands of liquor stores. Um, almost every corner there was a liquor store and yet none of them delivered. But again, that played into the the hypothesis that, okay, the majority of our buying is done last minute. Uh, There's thousands of liquor stores everywhere that's gotta support some sort of customer behavior based around convenience. And I pretty much can guarantee it's not just the three of us that buy alcohol this way. There's gotta be at least some large demographic of people or increasing demographic of people that do this. and we started to dive in and look at the industry and, and you know, heavily regulated industry, very old school laws in many ways, old school uh, different um, players. Um, and so we had to learn a lot very quickly. But we started building Saucy on nights and weekends. About four months later, we launched the company um, and we did the deliveries ourselves. You know, we the three founders probably did at least – at least the first 1,000 or so deliveries on Saucy, uh, which was extremely brutal. Um, but it taught us a lot about our customers, taught us a ton about logistics, getting in and out of locations quickly, routing around cities, and ultimately laid the framework for much of what we built later on as a company.
0: So, Chris, I love that story of, your first, of the first product offer. So you, you built an app and then you guys did the logistics yourselves. You fulfilled the orders yourselves, which certainly, almost certainly brought you very close to your customer. Um, tell me a little bit about how different that first product was from what you've eventually converged on, what now, a couple of years later, in terms of what Saucy is doing.
1: Um. I would say at its core, we had some pretty good instincts on the industry and have not wavered from those too heavily. And, and happy to talk more about that. But despite whether it's VC pressures, pressures from people in the industry, we had a pretty good idea of where this business was going and wanted to stick to that. We also made some poor assumptions, right? Like when we launched – one of the assumptions we made was that everyone wants a limited selection. They just want it super fast, but they don't want to have to think. I want to be able to go into the vodka category and have two options of vodka, basically cheaper, premium. Click one, check out, and we're there really quickly. Pretty much, pretty much the day after we launched the private beta, all the customers were like, "Where are? Where's the selection? Where are my options?" Wow. Um, So very quickly we were like, okay, we need to increase the selection and options on the platform. Um, But at the core of what we believed early on is that, you know, we looked at a lot of the big players. We looked at people like in distribution. Southern Wine and Spirits is basically a monopoly when it comes to alcohol distribution. And they did it by really dominating a couple core markets that matter. Um, I'd say, you know, there's always going to be people that – give you advice as to what you should do or where you should go um particularly people in the industry like we've had some of the largest brands in the world come to us with piles and piles and piles of research saying we think it's going to do this we think it's going to do that it's going to be this that the other and you know our general sort of response has been appreciative but also you know if you guys knew you wouldn't be in the position you're in today you know i don't think that Airbnb wasn't built by the executive team at Hilton Hotels for a reason. Um, you know, Uber wasn't built by the executive team at GM. Um, so I think sometimes it takes an outsider with a naive perspective and a naive approach to take on a very old school industry. And I'd say at the core of what we believed in this space is that the brick-and-mortar retail model in alcohol is no longer a fit for the customer buying behavior in this category – The majority of customer buying behaviors driven by convenience. We looked at a lot of major retailers and discovered that their customer loyalty was extremely low. Like, people don't care where they get their alcohol from. You know, if I want Jack Daniels, I just want it. You know, I don't care if I get it from George or Julie or Tim. Um, And uh, we applied a model that was true to the customer behavior. Um, took our, the time and the due diligence to meet with the regulatory bodies and say, not only how do we do this in compliance, but how do we build something that potentially provides more visibility to the industry? Um, and we've stuck pretty true to that vision for a long time. Even early days, a lot of VCs were pressuring us. What's your, you know, 60 city rollout plan. And we're like, we're, we're not going to 60 cities. We're going to focus on sort of key markets in the U S and focus on penetration. Um you know, I'd say two years later, venture cl- venture climate changed dramatically. We had a lot of people come back to us and like, oh, thank God you didn't expand. Thank God, yeah. you have a model that works in in all the markets that you operate in and, and whatnot. And um, so we've it's been difficult, but you know, you have you have some people, some some of which are much more of an expert in the field than you are. Um, You know, you have companies worth, you know, 100, 200 billion dollars or whatever they are, the alcohol industry telling you uh, where they think it's going. And and just staying sort of true to your gut instincts on customer behavior uh, has sort of kept us uh, on a certain path to where we are today.
0: All right. So I, I get on the customer side, you had a particular vision, a particular behavior in mind, and, and that resonated pretty well, and you pretty much stuck to it. Talk a little bit about the logistics side. I suspect when you have launched, it was you and your co-founders going into into Bebmo uh, and, and buying at retail. Is that still what you do? How, how do you actually work it on the supply side now?
1: So um, the pre-launch, the original idea for Saucy was – we looked at all these different delivery models, and we said, "You know what? The fastest delivery model would be if we could have vans filled with alcohol, and if someone ordered, they would just pull over and hand you the bottle of vodka." <laughs> um, uh, we met with probably the top ABC attorney in the country, um, and was running our you know theoretical model by him, and he he basically was like, "Chris, you're going to jail."
0: <laughs> oh um, really? Yeah.
1: If if you do that. Uh, so we, you know, took a lot of time working with them and and the regulatory bodies as well to say, you know, if we do this, not only how do we operate, again, in compliance but build something that's beneficial for you guys. Um, like, you know, people are buying alcohol all over San Francisco right now. How many of them are having their ID checked? Yeah.
0: They
1: have no idea. That's why they do sting operations like it's the 1950s. Uh, you know, maybe that's something that we could provide more visibility into. We could mm-hmm. scan everybody's ID. Um, so we learned a lot in those early days just because of the nature of our industry. We had to be more cautious as to the model that we would take. Um, going in and out of those liquor stores every single day as the founders, that was interesting as well. So the way that it works is you have to partner directly with certain licensed stores. When a customer purchases on Saucy, the – all the full dollar amount, delivery fee, anything else, uh, the full amount goes from that customer to that licensed retailer. So ho- hooking up and plugging into the POS systems. Um, uh-huh. Then we send in a courier, at the time it was us, pick up the order uh, and go out and, and deliver it to the customer. We looked at Instacart. We looked at uh, DoorDash. We looked at uh, the more traditional food companies like Grubhub and E24 and Seamless and whatnot. Um and really tried to evaluate everybody's models and, and we we saw two things. One on the seamless web, Grubhub, et cetera, et cetera model where the stores do the delivery themselves, we started looking at liquor stores throughout LA and just asking them. We're like, you know, if I sent you ten orders tomorrow with an average delivery time of thirty minutes apiece, could you handle it? Maybe. But what happens when we're sending these guys a thousand orders a day? Right. Um, we knew that that wouldn't work at scale. So the other thing that we saw with Instacart that was becoming a problem and, and things that we saw some of BC side friends in the industry was that, you know, sending a courier into a grocery store to go shop a grocery store and then wait in line and pay takes a lot of time. And it means that courier can't do that many orders per hour, um, the fewer orders per hour a courier does, it means that the the more any one given customer has to be paying that courier for their time. So yeah. if a courier can do on average one order an hour and he's delivering to you and he needs to make a minimum amount of dollars per hour for this to be worth his while, basically you're covering that cost compared to if he can do five orders in an hour, you get to split that with five people. Um, so we learned a lot of those things early on, just us going in and out of these stores. So we focused heavily on order batching, Uh, logistics, making sure that the payment was already taken care of. The store picks packs as the order ready upon arrival so that our couriers in going into a location wouldn't be picking up one order. They'd be picking up like four of them. Um, We also focused heavily on store placement throughout cities. So unlike food, where if 10 different people order food and you might order sushi, I might order Italian, and you're going to all these different pickup points – we could structure it so that all of our deliveries in a given territory came from one place. So you would have uh, a single courier could handle a whole group of people's orders and run out and make sure that, that whole thing gets delivered. Um, so very so early on, that enabled yeah. us to be efficient with the courier base.
0: All right. Super helpful on the logistics side. and remarkable area. Our time is actually up. But I I really appreciate your taking the time. It's a a great opportunity. I love the clarity of the vision, the focus on the customer behavior and sticking with that. I also love this idea around focus and in particular geographic focus, which sounds like it has served you well over the last couple of years. So Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to join.
1: Carl, thank you so
0: much. All right. Uh, To check out more about Saucy, it's really easy. Just go to saucy.com I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM, channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.